So what we're beginning, starting this week then, is we're going to be, talk about, be talking about doctrine. This is what we believe. So we spent the summer talking about who we are. This is who we are. This is what we value. And now we're going to spend the fall talking about this is what we believe. And so first of all, we're going to start off with we believe, number one, in God. We believe God is. Um, it, it, by the way, uh, as a, a side note, if you have any interest, uh, there's a book that a lot of this is, um, that we're going to be following along with this. Um, you don't have to follow along with it, but if you want to do some extra light reading, it's actually is a pretty easy re- read, if it, even if it's not light reading. It's a book called Doctrine by a guy named Mark Driscoll. And uh, it's just about... It's 13 things that Christians should believe, and that's what we're going to be going through the next 13 weeks. These are what Christians should believe. And so first of all, God is. We're going to be talking about the Trinity tonight. So in, just in general in life, and particularly as Christians, the first question we need to ask about life is, who is God? And like, if there, if, even if there is a God, If there is a God, then who is he? Who is he? And so let's let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. I kind of feel like I'm all over the place tonight. There's a lot of stuff I could talk about and I want to talk about. I can't talk about everything, and so I'm going to try to trying to boil this thing down. It's kind of a challenge. I, um, I did my, I, we just came back from Columbia. Um, I did my first wedding yesterday, officiated my first wedding. And uh, so that was pretty cool. They, we got him married and I don't think I embarrassed him too much. And I made it through the ceremony uh, without, well, I stuttered a couple of times, but I didn't do anything too crazy or too embarrassing for, for them, and uh, so that was a cool experience, but I spent some time prepping for that and doing that, and so I, I don't know if I feel very focused tonight, but uh, we're going to study the scripture, and I figure we'll come out all right if we're talking about God. It can't go too bad, hopefully. Um, this is going to be our definition about who, who is God, all right? The Trinity, that's your first one, is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other. (laughs) You got that? That was pretty simple. The Trinity is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are each fully and equally God in eternal relation with each other. We're going to tease that out as we follow, as we uh, go a little bit further. But just imagine for a moment, I can't spend as much time on this as I want to, but just imagine for a moment before, you can't imagine this because it's beyond our comprehension, but before creation, there was nothing except God. So this being that we call God, who is and was, we say who is and was because he is eternal. He's outside of time. 
There's no, there's no hours and seconds for him. He just is and always has been. And if that hasn't blown your mind already, then, then you are very, very smart and deluded because it, we can't get our, our head around the idea that he always was, always is, and <coughs> always has been all-powerful in the summation of everything that is good. And that God... As revealed in Scripture, and we're going to hit them in a few in a few scriptures. That God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—three different persons, yet one. <laughs> Three different persons. Let me out of the box. Yet one, and all right. So. Because Jonathan Edwards did a much better job explaining this than I ever will try to tonight, but because he is the summation of everything that is good throughout all eternity, God has been enjoying his perfection in himself. God has been Women. <laughs> no, no, sorry, back up. Not, that's just a whole new thought. God has been, dot, 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 new thought, women. Have you ever, like, had a really good hair day? And you, and kind of, like, what you put on that morning just kind of, it kind of captured that glint in your eyes. And, you just walk out of the house feeling beautiful. And as you, and, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, I look really nice today. Right? I'm not saying I experience that every day, but you know. Got all the, I got all those love letters in school that we're talking about. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing for you to look at yourself and say, hey, I look really nice today. Like, I, I, I kind of enjoy the way I look today. Um, the problem is whenever you like get all caught up in yourself and you kind of worship that image that you're looking back at. But here's the thing about God. It's not idolatry for him to think, I'm the man. Like, I am really, really awesome. I am really, really good. And I am enjoying how good I am. And that's what God has been doing forever and ever. The theologians call this, I've already shared this term with you guys before, perichoresis. And the idea is it's, it's kind of like a dance, but it's not like a dance. It's this interpenetration and inter, um, inter-enjoyment that has been going on throughout all eternity between God the Father Enjoying and glorifying in God the Son. God the Son loving and enjoying the beauty and the glory <coughs> and the goodness of God the Father. <coughs> Literally getting choked up. And God the Holy Spirit. Am I still miming? I feel like I'm still miming. Just ignore that. And God the Holy Spirit and for eternity have been doing that over and over and over again just 
full of joy and love and humility with each other. And then, out of this sum total of perfection, one day there erupted something out of that. And God created the universe. And he created the universe as something outside of himself to show his glory and his goodness and his beauty and his grace and his mercy and his love and all the things that make up who God was, all the things that he had been enjoying for eternity in himself. He, like a fountain, exploded out and the water came trickling out. So the universe exploded out of God as he created it and spoke it into existence. And that is the purpose of creation, for us to glorify him just as he has been, and enjoy him just as he has been glorifying and enjoying himself throughout all eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons, yet one God. This section I had you, I didn't forget, Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 4. This is a very important, very important section of scripture. Um, it's called the Shema uh, in, the Jew, the, in the Jewish religion. They repeat this at prayers every day, at least once, oftentimes twice a day. Uh, you probably are familiar with it. Uh, verse 4, chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today you sh shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. First of all, God is one. This is very important because that all around Israel, as they were growing up as a nation, were other nations, other people who worshipped multiple gods. They worshipped the god of the sun, the god of the land, the god of sex, the god of animals, all kinds of gods. Whatever they thought of, they worshipped these gods. And these weren't just empty gods. Like, there are other religions, and there are powerful other religions, because they worship beings, spirit beings, other than God. And there are spirit beings other than God Satan and his minions who are arrayed against him. And they worshiped all these other gods. And Israel stood like a, a light in the middle of all that saying, no, there is one God. And he's not a God that we have thought up who he is or what his actions are like or what his personality is like. We do not know about him except what he has told us because he is other, capital O, other than us. He is different than us. There is one God. He created the heavens and the earth. And we don't, cannot find our meaning and our being apart from him. We don't know anything about him unless he tells us about him because he is different from us. So first of all, we're talking about who God is, who is the Trinity. He, he is one. And then look at Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1, in the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So look at that. Already in the beginning, the first two verses of the Bible. And it's interesting, too, that the Bible doesn't start out explaining who God is. The Bible just opens up assuming that there is a God. In the beginning, God, that's the Father, created the heavens and the earth. And we know that, in, that at that time, because of John chapter 1, that he created it by the Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, there were um, some Jewish scholars in the way that they... Uh, 200 years before Jesus came along, the way that they they would trans they would um, they would they would translate the Hebrew into Aramaic as an exercise of their knowledge of the scriptures. And when they did so, uh, some of them translated in the beginning as because the word there has kind of a double meaning, and they would say in the beginning by the firstborn. This is 200, 300 years before Jesus was ever born. In the beginning, by the firstborn, so that would be the Son already, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the water. So you see the Trinity at work in the very first two verses of the Bible. And then look down at verse 26 as God is creating the world. Then God said, so then God, that's singular, right? You're following along with me? Then God said, let what? Us. Let us. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, like he's talking like a, like a football player, like you know, he talks about himself in the third person. Let us make man in what? Ours. Is that singular or plural? Our image after what? Is that singular or plural? After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So we see at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we see the Trinity at work. And then we see God, singular, refer to himself as plural right off the bat. So the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct persons, but yet they're fully God. Look at Luke 1, verse 35. This is when... um, the birth of Jesus being foretold to Mary. She's being told that uh, even though she's a virgin, she will have a child. And Mary, verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her. So look at this. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of, of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. So you have the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High, that's the Father, 
And then you have the Son of God, the Trinity, right there. And then look at Matthew chapter 3. Bless you. In verse 13, this is the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, that's the Baptist, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus, the son, was baptized, Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw what? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved, what? Son. Son. So who's speaking? This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. So we see the Son in the water, the Holy Spirit descending and the Father speaking from heaven. We see the Trinity at work there. There is only one true God. He exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet each one is fully God. No one of them are part God. You can't cut them in half and say, all right, he's like one third of God and the Son's one third of God. No, they are each Fully God. Does that blow your mind? Like, you, you guys understand that? Like, we can just close the book and go home, right? Like, like I, I got this. The Trinity. Uh, I think St. Augustine said, um, he, he talked about how you're mad, you're mad to really tr- study the Trinity, and you're mad if you think you understand it. Like, you just can't, you, you can never get there from here. It just doesn't work. Um, so there are a few errors that happen when we think about God in the wrong way, the Trinity. Oh, sorry, you had a question? Uh, you said St. Augustine. What, was it St. Augustine or a different St. Augustine? It's the same one, yeah. Okay. Some people say Augustine. Some people say Augustine. I personally like Augustine okay. better. Augustine is a city in Florida. Augustine was the saint. <laughs> that, that's what I say. Um. So there are three errors. And um, one, one course I took about the Trinity one time, they said, uh, as soon as you try to describe the Trinity, you're creating an error. Because well, there's nothing like you. Like we say, like, he, it, he's like, and probably everybody in this room have used one, like, some type of description before. He's like water and steam and ice. It's all God. It's like it's all water, but in different forms. Well, that's, that's not correct. Uh, I've also heard it described, and I had used the description before. Uh, it's like God the Father is the one who flips the light switch. Jesus is the light switch, and the Holy Spirit is the electricity that runs to the light. Well, that's not right either. That's, that's an error called modalism. You guys didn't know we were going to talk about this today, did you? This, that's an error called modalism. That means, stick with me, that means... <laughs> Okay, and it is important. We're going to come to why this is important in just a few minutes, okay? Modalism says that God um, takes different modes or different forms, but it's only one God. 
So there are actually uh, people who consider themselves Christians, and there's a whole uproar whether they should even be called Christians or not, that believe that when Scripture says there's one God, and there's one God, because the, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, even though we've looked at the examples. And there's, there's tons more where you see the Trinity at work. And so they say when, when Jesus comes to earth, that's God, what we would call God the Father, that's him coming to earth. And then when he goes back to heaven, he goes back to heaven. There's no, he's not in all three places at one time. The problem with that is the scripture we just read in Matthew of the baptism just kind of blows that one out of the water because we see God the Father speaking from like, so he would have to have like some kind of split personality, like Jesus in the water and he goes down and as he comes up, like he shoots up to heaven real fast and then he comes down as a dove and then he shoots up to heaven real fast or throws his voice up to heaven and makes it sound like somebody's speaking from above. And so either he has real like super fast split personalities or he's like really deceiving because he's trying to make us think he's all three things, but he is not. He is three, but yet, but yet one. Another error is something called Arianism. Stick with me again. Arianism is the belief that there's one God, so it's not Trinity. And so Jesus, the one who we call the son of God, he's like the greatest of all creation, but he was created. And there's a problem with all three of these heirs that we're going to come to you in just a minute. Exactly. That's exactly more. And then there's a, um, and also Jehovah's Witness. Uh, then there's a third one called tritheism. And, and yeah, that means three gods. Tritheism gods. Three gods. And so there, there are three, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but yet they're three totally different gods. I like a council of gods up there, right? And so that's actually more like Mormonism because Mormonism says there's a whole bunch of gods up there. And that's just the three that we know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we're all going to be gods to have spiritual babies. And, you know, it's going to be awesome. Um, and that's also like if you try to describe God as like an egg and he's the shell and he's the yolk and he's the, like the white, like that's tritheism too because it's not all in one. Um, but so here's the reason that the Trinity is important. All right, you guys with me? Stick with me for just a minute. Pull back, even if you don't remember Arianism and modalism and tritheism, here's why the doctrine of the Trinity is important. It's important because the gospel is important. All right? The fact that Jesus came to die in my place and in your place for our sins it hinges upon the fact that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we could go into why it does, but just if you just think about it, study when you go home, if you're interested in it, Google it. Like, it's very important. The gospel hinges upon the fact that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit covenanted together before time began and said, we're going to create creation and there will be a fall, and we will redeem mankind and all of creation. And we're going to participate together in it when we all have roles in it. And, it. and all of that starts to fall apart if you say there are three different people or there's just one God and all this stuff. So that's why it's very important. So first of all, who is God? God is the Trinity who has eternally existed in three persons, yet one. And they've been in an eternal relationship with each other throughout all of time. 
Second thing, and this will be a little bit easier to follow, hopefully, what is God like? And we're going to fully answer tonight, what is God like? Well, we're only going to be able to touch on it. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 34. You guys didn't know you were coming to class tonight, did you? And I left out a whole lot of stuff in that first part. All right. We're going to read the most quoted passage in the Bible. The, this is the passage the Bible quotes most often. You see it over and over again. They refer back to this passage in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 6. And this is really awesome. Um, you know what? Let's start at the beginning so we can get the context. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself. This is, so God's talking with Moses about creating the, um, the second set of Ten Commandments. If you've seen the movie, you know all about it. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets, which by the way, you have to have some guts or you have to be really angry to take tablets that God created that God wrote on with his finger and just throw them down on the ground and like I did with my iPad yesterday. That's a whole other story. I didn't throw it down in anger. But uh, we're coming back from the wedding and uh, we're going into the hotel and so I'm carrying stuff and I have my iPad. Mental note, don't carry your iPad underneath your arm. Okay, just a mental note. If you have an iPad, just store that one away. Carrying the iPad underneath my arm, and I feel it go, and the next thing I hear is, and then I look down, and it's face down on the pavement, and I pick it up, and it's shattered in the corner here, and it's shooting up the splinters all the way through. It is destroyed. The corner is absolutely mauled. I will say, I wasn't really happy. <laughs> I had to, it took me a few minutes to, to, to uh, pull that back together. So um, I don't know. Maybe that's the way God felt when Moses threw it down the ground. I, I <laughs> the only difference, is, I, only difference is I didn't know that the iPad was going to fall. Like God knew that from all creation, so he wasn't surprised. But I don't think that was a righteous anger. It may not have been righteous anger. <laughs> It, it probably has nothing to do with the Ten Commandments at all, except I threw something, I dropped something on the ground last night. And <laughs> all right. And then he said, um, and now I'll write on the tablets the word which were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. That's a big deal. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And what did he do? proclaimed the name of the Lord. So you, if you guys thought like I was like kind of making that up, like God has been enjoying and glorifying himself throughout all of eternity, he comes down to Moses and what does he have to talk about? He's not talking about fantasy football or the, the score yesterday or politics. What does he have to talk about when he comes down? Himself. 
he declares himself to Moses. And this is what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. And that when, we, when you see the word Lord in all caps, that is, that is God's proper name that he gave himself in the Old Testament. Have you ever heard the term Yahweh? It's a, it's a Jewish word. That, that's the word that you see there, Lord. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So this is what God said about himself. So if we want to know what is God like, then let's look and see what does God say he is like. And what's the, the first thing that we talked about? He said, I am Yahweh. He, we don't get to determine who he is, how he's going to be addressed. He determines that because he is the creator and we are the created. We don't get to call the shots. He's the one that is Lord, and you and I are not. And God does not, will not, has never, will never let that slide. He is all about being Lord and all about us not being. And the truth is, even though sometimes that can feel constraining, the truth is we find our true freedom when we enjoy the fact that he is the one that is Lord and I'm the one that am not. That's where true joy and contentment and fulfillment happens. There. He is God. I am not. What's the second thing that he says about himself? Um, God merciful. He is, he is compassionate and he is merciful. Think about that. God could have started out with saying a lot of things about himself. He declares himself that he is Lord and then he could have rattled off, look, I created heavens and earth. I'm amazing. I'm awesome. But the first thing he starts off with, I am merciful and compassionate. What do you guys think that is? Dealing with the Jews. Explain. You need to give them a heads up. Moses is dealing with a, with a bunch of people that, that have turned into a catastrophe. So obviously Moses is up there with an agenda saying, we're in a lot of trouble. God's giving them a heads up saying, I'm compassionate. Because they have already, I mean, yeah, this, this, thing is, this thing is pretty fresh. I mean, they've been God's people, but this thing as a religion as really, because they, they didn't know much about God. He had revealed himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, told him he was going to make a great nation of them, but they, they knew very little about him. And when they, 
And when, as soon as they, he takes them out of Egypt, as soon as he gets them out, I mean, creates amazing miracles. They cross the Red Sea, like all kinds of crazy cool things happen. Moses go, takes a little sabbatical and they go crazy. They, they beg Aaron to take their jewelry and their earrings, which the people of Egypt had given them because God gave them favor with them in order. Like, can you imagine like, you're my slave and you're leaving town and you say like, I'm out of here. And I say, oh, that's great. Let me give you some gold. Like that's an amazing miracle for that to happen. The gold that God gave them as plunder from Egypt that they didn't have to fight for. They get out to the wilderness. He does amazing miracles. They get around the corner. Moses goes on the sabbatical for a couple of weeks and they beg Aaron, will you take our earrings and our jewelry and melt them down and make a golden cow so we can worship that golden cow already off the bat. Can you imagine? Like that's, and so that's why God starts off by saying, I am merciful. God is very well aware of the fact that you and I are weak and frail and sinful and constantly drop the balls all over the place. Sometimes on accident, most of the time on purpose, just because we don't care and we want our own way, we want a different way. And he says, first of all, I am merciful and I'm compassionate. I mean, that's a God you can worship. Most, most religions, like most parents, err to one side or the other. And they have a God who is almighty, but he doesn't put up with anything like he's just like shooting lightning bolts all over the place you get him angry he's he's taking you out or they have a guy who's like 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 the kind of parent that's just like fuzzy and nice or a substitute teacher or the nfl replacement refs that we have that are sort of like yeah whatever goes that's cool you know i I just want you to like me i'm i'm god i you know i'm just it's okay don't worry about it right But this is a God who starts off by saying, I am Lord and I am merciful and compassionate. And and then he also, he follows that up on by saying that he's what? Gracious, long-suffering, slow to anger. Slow to anger. Isn't that really, really, that should be really encouraging that we have a God who knows everything about you. Okay. I just, not just the things that you've done, but the thoughts that you've had. Have you ever sat and thought about the thoughts that you have? We have so many thoughts, like we, they just kind of run through our head, we don't think about it. But have you ever thought about, wow, I actually thought about that. Like I thought about doing that. I, like that's, I must be really evil. Like, have you ever like, thought about the, the things that you think about? He knows every one of those thoughts. Every action, everything you've entertained, didn't do, but really kind of wanted to, things you didn't say, but you said inside your head. He knows all of that. All of that, all of that is laid bare before him. And yet, he is slow to anger. And then, Gracious, slow to anger, and abounding 
in steadfast love or, or filled with steadfast love. Think about that. The love that he has for you is not based at all upon how well you're doing. You're dropping the ball in the, in the basket or you're missing it, like you're, you're missing the other basket on the other side of the court. He is filled with unfailing love for you. He doesn't love you because of who you are or what you've done. He loves you because he has placed his love upon you. And that is unfailing and unending. And then it says that not only steadfast love, but steadfast or unfailing faithfulness. Think about that. I don't know what your parents were like or what um, your bosses are like or what authority figures have been like in your past, but whenever he says something, you can take it to the bank. He says, I will do this. There's no question if he was going to do it or not. At times, it may not look like he's going to come through. At times, it may not feel like he's there and present with you. But if he says, I am with you always, if he says, I love you regardless of who you are or what you're doing, and sometimes you don't feel lovable or you're not really sure, his love and his faithfulness is still upon you regardless because of his character, not your character, not my character. And then he says, not only is he filled or abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, but he's keeping steadfast love for thousands and he's forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He he told them, I'm a forgiving God. And he laid that out on the line whenever he sent his son to stand in between his wrath and my sin. He is a forgiving God. But then look at this last part. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. You know, that's actually good news because um, just as it's sort of horrendous to think that, that my sin and my everything I am and have entertained doing and everything that I did is all laid bare before a holy God, it's also not right to think that that, that can go unpunished. I mean, if you, if you have, if you have a, a judge and somebody sits before him who murdered his family or uh, abused children or did something horrendous and horrible, we don't want the judge to say, don't worry about it. Just don't do it again. I mean, that's not right, right? I mean, it, there's something, like there's this sense in all of us that there has to be this, this there has to be justice. My five-year-old told me today, that's not fair. She has no idea what fair is, but she has this sense inside her that there is 
something called fairness. There is something called justice. So that, that if somebody wrongs somebody else, if somebody abuses somebody else, there has to be some sort of retribution that can't just go on and on and on and somebody turn a blind eye to it. That There has to be an accountability for that. And God said, I not only am I loving, but I am just. And that will be paid for. And that will be paid for either either for eternity in eternal damnation for the person who was outside of Christ or it was paid for by his son, by God providing the payment for that sin in his son, Jesus Christ. But it has been and will be paid for. So we as believers, as Christians can know that there is and will be Justice. It may go unchecked for a while. It may look like it's going unchecked, but God is keeping a full account and he will settle every debt. Whenever it's all done, it'll be, it'll be equal. It'll be balanced. The sheet will be balanced. And as believers, we rejoice in the fact that it's Jesus Christ himself that, uh, that took that penalty for us. And so who is God? What is God like? And the third thing, what does that mean to us? Look back at a section that we already read, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read the exact same verses that we read already. In the beginning, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So if God is, the tr- if God is Trinity, God is Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, so we think like big deal, that's a doctrine like, okay, that's for somebody else to think about. But here's what it means to us. If that God, existing in three persons, yet one, and is a God who is Lord, he's compassionate, he's merciful, he's loving, with steadfast love and steadfast faithfulness, he's forgiving, but yet he is just. If that's the God who is the Trinity, then what does that mean for me? Well, first of all, we understand that we, you and I, mankind, were created in the image of God. We bear his image. And that, that wording there is like, it's not, not like, like we're many gods. It means that, that we reflect him. It's the image, like a mirror image is the image of you. It's not you. It's the image of you. So God puts certain fingerprints upon man where we reflect back to him who he is. And so when we have certain longings and desires, we have those longings and desires because they were created in the image of a Trinitarian God. And so here's what that means. There's some truth about, some truths about God's nature. 
and how this relates to us. I'm going to ask you some questions, how that relates to us. I want to get your feedback in this. So first of all, we see humility at work in God. This is how we see humility at work in God. That even though God is equal, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, no one is more God than the other. They're all equally God. But yet we see them operating in different ways, right? We see the Son, Jesus, telling us in Scripture, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do what he, I only say what he tells me to say. Whenever he goes to the garden, he's sweating drops of blood and he's doesn't want to do what is in front of him, this, this cross, this tremendously painful experience where not only will he be physically mauled, but he will be spiritually separated from his father for the first time in eternity. He's, he's telling the father, I don't want to do this. If possible, let's find another way, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. And then he tells us that whenever he goes to the Father, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to us. And the Holy Spirit isn't going to come to us and say, hey, I'm awesome. The Holy Spirit is going to come to earth and say, he's going to lift up and glorify who? Jesus, the Son. So we see this operational humility going on inside the Godhead. So if we see God who we're even talking about has for all eternity been enjoying his goodness and greatness and beauty, we see humility operating there. What should that tell us about, about us? This is the easy one. This we I, submit to one another. Abs absolutely. There should be humility. Absolutely. That, that so we should Absolutely. It informs our friendships. It informs the way we relate to each other in the body of Christ. It informs the way we relate to each other as husband and wife and children to father and mother. Because we understand that if that we have different roles and different positions. And so we should operate humbly the way God even himself operates in humility to each other. And then the other thing that should happen with humility is because we can't understand God, right? I mean, if I tried to, and I could, if I tried to tease this out for a week after week after week talking about who God is, we would never, ever get our head around him because there's some basic concepts we just can't even get, our, we can't understand eternity, so we're done. We can't understand anything else about them. Conversation over. So what that should do is that should humble us. It should humble the way that we think about God and that we relate to other people. We should, we should do so in humility. The second thing is we read, um, you don't have to turn there. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. One of the most famous verses, one that everybody likes to quote this, this uh, verse. Um, Christian or not Christian, they, they, they know this one. First John, verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. I'm sorry. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love 
does not know God because God is love. He is the very definition of what love is. We don't, we don't look at what God does and say, okay, that's loving, so he's love, a loving God. God tells us he is love, and therefore what he does is the source and example of love. So, so, and for all eternity, inside the Trinity, God has been loving, God the Father has been loving the Son, and God the Son has been loving the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loving the Father, and all vice versa going on back and forth, loving and enjoying and humility with each other. So how should that inform, again, this is an easy one, how should that inform us, the way that we live? We should love each other because God is love. And that desire that we have, we desire to love and we desire to be loved, right? I was thinking about this the other day. In, um, I was in the gym, trying to get back in the gym in case you can't tell. Um, <laughs> been there two or three times, so you can, I'm sure you can see. I was in the gym and they were playing you know, the music and every song was about love, Right? I love you, and he loves me, and, you know, I love loving him, and he loves loving me, or I wish he loved me, or, you know, call me maybe, and all this, you know, kind of kind of back and forth, and nothing wrong with it. It's just all about, but why? Why are, why is my nose itching so bad? Why are the majority of our songs, the vast majority of our songs, about love? Absolutely, we desire to love, and we desire to be loved in return. Do you know why we desire that? Because we are created in the image of God, with that imprint upon us, and God has loved and been loved throughout all eternity. And so, therefore, we desire to love and to be loved throughout all eternity. And, and here's the here's the great thing: as believers. When you're adopted into God's family, you're being adopted into the Trinity. Not as a part of the Trinity, but into that circle. And so now you are, we are a part of that circle of humility and love going back and forth. Um, another truth about God's Trinitarian nature, he is full of humility. He's full of love. He is also worshipful. We've covered that. God is giving glory to himself. And so I mean, so that the way that we should respond to that is we should be worshipful back to him. We should recognize and enjoy worshiping him and realize that just as God enjoys worship, loving and, and enjoying his perfections, we should love and enjoy his perfections as well. The, the fourth truth about God is that he is relational. He is, God is the only perfect, unified relationship ever. And we have been invited and brought into that as well. So the reason that you and I desire relationships, we desire interaction with each other, we desire to to know and be known, is because we were created in his image. And God has forever throughout all eternity known God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and been known by them in return. I know this is a lot, but just stick with me. We're almost done. Um, so another truth about God is that he is unified 
and diverse. So God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have eternally existed as one, and yet they're different. They're different roles, different parts that each one plays within the Godhead, and so we reflect that. We, as believers, are and should be unified, and yet we should reflect and celebrate the diversity. And part of that diversity is diversity in background, in color, in um, uh, circumstance, in economics, all the different ways that you can imagine diversity. We should reflect that diversity in giftings and personality. And when you bring that all together, you get a better picture of who God is because you see unity in the body, but yet you see great diversity in the body as well, flowing together in this beautiful dance. We already covered in under humility, we see submissiveness. We see the son submitting his rule to the father. So we should be submissive to each other and submissive to God himself. And then this is the last, and this is something so important for us not to forget. In our mission statement, we say that docs exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. And that word joyfully is so important. I've read a few places they said that you could say a synonym for the Trinity could be happy or joy. That God has forever, like, like he's been laughing forever. He's been full of joy bubbling in himself forever. And to... So for him to know himself is to know joy. And for us to know him is for us to know joy. And so lives of believers should be lives of joy. Lives of joy that is based upon knowing him, knowing the one who is himself happiness, who is happy, who is joyous, who is eternal laughter and dancing and singing. Why do you think humans throughout every single culture, every single background, they have music, they have laughter, they have jokes. Anthropologists can't quite explain why is it that way? Why is a smile universal? Why is laughter universal? There's no culture that laughter means sadness. Nobody laughs when they're brokenhearted. They cry when they're brokenhearted. And they laugh when somebody says something hilarious or somebody trips on a log or something happens. You laugh. I'm not saying God laughs at that. I'm saying that there's this sense of joy and humor that is found inside human beings. We sing and we celebrate. We went to this wedding last night and they were singing and they were dancing and they were full of joy because we were celebrating something wonderful happening for all of eternity. God has been celebrating something wonderful, namely himself. And when we are grafted into his family, we are grafted into a community, a relationship that has existed before history of joy and laughter and celebration. And so a life of a believer, there are times when it's when we are brokenhearted, but underneath the brokenness lies an anchor of joy that says through eternity we will be celebrating. And though it is something is wrong now and it is broken now, it will be made finally 
right, and we will spend eternity celebrating that. The book ends with a feast. With a feast. There's wine and bread and meat and fruit there. It's amazing. It's a feast. It's it's a party. The book ends with a party. And that's the way we will celebrate the coming of the kingdom whenever the triune God who has worked this redemptive history together throughout all all of our history, whenever he brings it to its consummation at the end.